0: Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I play as good as I look.
3: I don't even know why I should be doing this podcast. It's too
0: easy for me. I need a challenge. (laughs) I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the sixteenth of December, nineteen ninety-three, two days after my eighth birthday, and it's dual new number ones with Mister Blobby taking the top spot in the UK music charts, and da 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 The Adams family are back at the top of the box office with the Adams Family Values.
2: Nurse, how close are the contractions? Every fifteen seconds, Doctor. Are you in unbearable pain, my darling? Is it torture?
4: We- <laughs> Forceps! Forceps! Gomez! What noosh! Father, what is it?
2: It's an Adams. Ah! He has my father's eyes. Gomez, take those out of his mouth.
1: (gasps) He's an adorable little baby. Fine. Rub it in.
2: Children, why do you hate the baby?
1: We don't hate him. We just want to play with him. Especially his head.
2: You'll meet someone, someone very special. Someone who won't press charges.
1: Isn't he a lady killer? Acquitted. Women must follow you everywhere.
4: Store detectives.
1: And the stork flew down from heaven and turned into a baby. Our parents had sex.
3: Let's very briefly touch on Mr. Blobby. And I say very briefly because I'm worried I'll catch something if like there's <laughs> too much contact. This single is not only regarded as probably one of the worst singles of all time. This beats out Crazy Frog. This beats out Hamster Dance. This beats out Grandpa I Love You. This beats out Bob the Builder. This beats out Bo Selector Christmas. I'll go to bat for the Bo
0: Selector Christmas song. I bloody love that song.
3: That says more about you than it does about the song. But this is basically <laughs> the the turgid, like, arsewater of music. And the craziest thing is not that it gets to number one now, but it will get to number one again in a few weeks' time. So I'm going to save my bile for that second <laughs> appearance when the knives can come out and we can really go to town on it.
0: Yes, Let, let's, let's hold off on that one because we've got a couple more opportunities to talk about Mr. Blobby and the song so instead let's focus on something that is way better which is the adams family values which i mean we were talking uh, just at the end of our last recording session that you prefer it to the first movie and in many ways i do as well if only if it's just for the theme song
3: i think the reason i prefer it to the first one is very simply put because the first one is The Addams Family. It's The Addams Family in the settings that we saw in the TV show. It's, it's the TV show as a big gothic comedy movie. But then we get Addams Family Values, which, for parts of it at least, takes the Adams out of their comfort zones. Wednesday and Pugsley going to camp. All that sh- that Festa goes through. I dig it because it does something new with the adams now okay this is only the second adams family movie but this is an old franchise this started as a newspaper strip back in the 50s it had been at least one live action television series cartoon series more comic strips it was a well traveled path and so this movie does something different you are right however that the theme music to this is an absolute banger and i hope we're
0: already hearing it (laughs) We are indeed. Uh, What I love about The Addams Family value is that it adds upon to what the first film did. So the first film, I think, is a absolutely brilliant, brilliant adaptation. You know, almost a reimagining of The Addams Family. It's so zany and wacky. My wife and I watched it uh, last year in sort of like in the run up to Halloween. And it's so much fun. It's so joyously fun. And that is bolstered by such a great cast. And what I mean by the Addams family adding upon that is because they bring back that excellent cast. They bring back Angelica Houston. They bring back Raul Julia. And they bring back Lloyd and Christina Ricci. And they add, oh, the Piesta Resistance. Joan Cusack is so, so great in the Addams family values. She's a way better villain than the 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 two in the first movie and that for me is probably why i think the values is the better of the two
3: i would say that for me personally and maybe this is one of the reasons i like it there are more big laughs for me in this film and the last time i watched this film and i think it says something about how it captivates me was not this christmas it was last christmas so christmas 2019 and it was christmas eve and we had the people around that were with us for Christmas. And mm. we just all had our food, our Christmas Christmas Eve takeaway. And we were flipping through the channels. And we caught just at the beginning of Adam's family values. And I think either I or someone else made the joke of, oh, there's a Christmas movie. And then we just all sat and watched it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many great moments in this film. The kids being sent off to Camp Chippewa, which has Peter McNichol in it again. You know, you-
0: It does, yeah and christine baranski as well who's just as great
3: it's not played for straight humor it is very much played for macabre laughs and maybe that is why despite having that same amazing cast despite still having a pretty good budget and as i say i think a really nicely made film it didn't land with the critics and it didn't land with the audiences it had a 48 million dollar budget and only just about bought that back in at the box office.
0: It's a shame that it doesn't do as well. And actually, I mean, it's a shame. It's also a surprise that it doesn't do as well. Not even just as well, because the sequel is always going to struggle in order to bring people back in. But I just find it surprising because the first one was such a hit and was really, really well liked. that I really thought that people would be turning out to see the second one. But yeah, I've got a lot of love for this. And whenever it comes around to like, we obviously we don't celebrate Thanksgiving here. But when it does come around to that Thanksgiving time, this is a film that my wife and I'll be like, oh man, let's put on Adam's family values because it's so much fun. And they clearly saw how popular Wednesday was from the first movie and how great Christina Ricci was playing the role of Wednesday Adams. So this film really does put her front and center. Like they give her her own storyline and her and Pugsley's there, but it is a Wednesday Adams storyline. And she is pushed to the forefront of this movie. And in many ways, I think it is kind of better for it because she plays off so well against Peter McNichol and Christine Baranski.
3: But there are at least like three plots going on in this movie. We've got Wednesday and Pugsley and their newfound friend Joel trying to survive a horrifically saccharine holiday camp where, you know, when they're down, you know, everyone has to be smiley, And when they're down, they're sent to a hut where they're forced to watch cheerful Disney cartoons (laughs) And they're kumbaya-ing and singing. And it's honestly, it gives me the shivers. (laughs) Then we've got Gomez and Morticia who have just had a new child and they're dealing with that and the antics of the baby. And we also have tying this all together, the plot of Fester and his new infatuation. Debbie, who turns out is also a serial killer, which you would think would be the perfect match for the Adams family. Turns out not so much when she wants to kill them. Yeah. So it's a much more convoluted plot, but I I dig it. I really like it. And yeah, this film has great graphic design. It takes a number of very satirical pot shots at key parts of American culture, including Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That's a bold thing to take a swipe at because everything they say in that kind of little play about the first Thanksgiving is pretty much true. Doesn't mean 1993 American audiences wanted to hear it. Nope. And the entire title of the movie was in itself satire. It was based off a speech that was given following the Los Angeles riots of 1992, where Dan Quayle blamed the riots on a breakdown of family values. Bucky O'Hare is there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people took real exception to that. The Los Angeles riots were not because of a breakdown in family values. They were because of inherent systemic
0: Racism. Leave it to the media to try and find a new spin on this. It's the same like when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, you know, in sort of like a silent protest against systemic racism in America. And some people turn that into like, oh man, he's unpatriotic. It's actually about the army and it's about the American uh, history that he is disrespecting.
3: But this was, of course, one of the last films for Raul Julia, and apparently his health issues did begin to become noticeable during the filming as his weight started to decrease and also he began to have trouble eating and it became apparent that all was not well. Yeah, It's a shame because he was great in this role and, you know, I like Tim Curry, don't get me wrong. And I'm sure if we'd never had Raul Julia as Gomez, I could have gone, okay, I can buy Tim Curry as Gomez. But the problem is he had to follow that and uh, that's a tough... That's like trying to follow Tim Curry in Rocky Horror. It's like, how do you follow someone that defines a role?
0: Exactly, yeah. Like, Raul Julia was so perfect as Gomez Adams. And, you know, it was the brilliance of his performance in that that got him the role of Bison in Street Fighter. Because they really, really liked him. Because he had so much, you know, almost box office appeal off the back of the Adams family. But even then, you know, like the the people I've spoken to who worked on that movie were just like, It was very noticeable, like from the day of casting to him arriving on set. Basically, like, I mean, his illness kind of they made that had to flip the the schedule, the shooting schedule, because the idea was he was going to do all of the Bison scenes first, all the talking scenes first to allow these untrained stunt actors to work on all of the choreography to then do in the second half of the shoot. But because Raoul was so unwell, the first half of the shoot became just getting Raul Julia, not better because he was never going to get better, but just allowing him to spend time with his family and just sort of naturally put back on the weight because he wasn't fitting into the costume that they'd fitted him for. So they did all the action stuff first. Yeah, it's it's always a, a real shame to lose an actor, particularly one that's so talented like that at such an early age to such a, you know, a, a bastard of a disease. But yeah, Raul Julia was a, a, a real sting because he's like this three movie run that he has here of Adam's family, Adam's family values and street fighter is a really, you know, it's a lovely way to go out. And I suppose cause it is three great performances to go out on and hang your hat on.
3: We'll disagree on street fighter because genuinely it's not a good movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no. We, no, we, no he, can, he, can, you, yeah. I know you'll go to bat for it, but it is a sh- movie, but I think Adam's family and Adam's family values are a hell of a duology to leave behind. I just wish we'd have more.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree. Like I remember the Cinematic Universe um, podcast did like a double feature of um, they did Adam's Family, Adam's Family Values as a podcast series. I remember chatting with Seb before like it was released, you know, and chatting to him about Adam's Family and him telling me like, you know, oh, I, I think the values is better. And I was like, I, I wasn't sure if I agreed with him until so I you know listened to that podcast and then rewatched it. And I was like, you know, as usual, Seb was right. And it is a much better movie couple of game releases uh, just before we get into the show itself Columns 3 Revenge of Columns gets its release on the Mega Drive which is a fabulous little title uh, uh Deep Duck Trouble starring Donald Duck gets released on the Game Gear and the Master System but one of the big releases of the year and uh, one of those I I've not been featured a lot on Games Master and I wonder if we'll get it in this second half of series 3 is Mega Man X which was a complete reinvention of the Mega Man franchise and Frankly, a brilliant, brilliant game.
3: It was a real breath of fresh air, and like this was not the only reboot. This went on, and in fact, Mega Man X transferred across platforms. We got Mega Man X titles for the PlayStation
0: and beyond. Oh, Mega Man X4 is a game that one of the very first websites I ever made was a walkthrough guide for Mega Man X4 on the PlayStation.
3: That's amazing. Is it still up there, or was it a GeoCities tripod Ge- thing? Oh, it was a GeoCities job, yeah. Oh, maybe we can find it on archive.org. Maybe it's still out there somewhere, like, you know, hidden in the depths of the web's, like, backups and whatnot. <laughs> That'd be fun. I'm still terrible at most Mega Man games, but I did enjoy being terrible at the Mega Man X series more than I did, perhaps, the original Mega Man series.
0: Yeah, I'm quite bad at Mega Man X. Um, I can play through Mega Man games. We, you know, we talked about Mega Man a lot on this show because we had a Mega Man 2 challenge way back in Series 1. But I'm actually much worse at Mega Man X games, apart from Mega Man X Four, which I could write a walkthrough for on uh, on a Geocities website. But um, yeah, I, I do really like Mega Man X. It's a really, really good game. It adds like some beautiful story elements to it, like cutscenes and stuff. If there's a video that I would recommend about Mega Man X, it's Ego Raptors' video that he released incredibly. Linking about it now, nine years ago, he had a very short run series that he did called Sequelitis, where he was looking at sequels to like you know like. Like he looks at uh, Castlevania and Castlevania 2 and he looked at uh, Link to the Past versus Ocarina of Time. But he did one about Mega Man Classic versus Mega Man X and it's so, so funny. And in fact, actually, I'll just put a quick look at it now. It's had 14 million views in the last nine years.
3: I haven't seen that video, or at least I don't remember seeing that video. I could like call it up and my YouTube play history would disagree with me, but <laughs> I would definitely go and check it
0: out. It's so funny. It's really, really funny.
3: Now, we are going to have a magazine bit, but it'll be a bit later because it directly ties into the episode. Mixing things up a bit. Second half of season three, anything goes.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to another hot heat where three more teams are battling out
0: for a place in our championship semi-final. The challenges are tough and that's exactly how we want them. Well, it's a raucous crowd to kick us off here. It's so raucous Dex tells them to shut up. Now, I
3: made comment before when we were talking about how Dex and Dave are talking over each other, probably because they can't hear each other. Your Honor, Exhibit A, because dear Christ, literally, we can't actually hear Dex during the first bit because the noise is so big, it's just blowing out the mics. There's just there's just nothing to be done with it.
0: And if you just heard that clip then, and you're going to hear you know quite a few clips as we go through this, as you usually do, and you think, wow, it sounds like it's a really rushed episode, this. That is because, you know, we talked last week how... It's incredible how they've managed to fit four challenges into this show, as well as the review zone and a feature and the consultation zone. Well, this week we have five challenges to try and squeeze into this half hour format. Bloody hell, this episode moves at a breakneck pace.
3: We asked before, I think in the first episode, what would happen if we got to a tiebreaker? We find out this week. And you know my normal note-taking process I've described where I run it at 0.75% because my typing speed is normally at the same pace as the episode, and so it's very easy to do like my notes in one pass. 0.5% for this one, because Christ, it moved quickly. There was no lingering shots, and things cracked along. Even with this intro, Dex welcomes us, and... Boom. we're off to meet the teams.
4: Hey, do you want to tell us your names, guys? My name's Almost Pony, I'm from Hackney. Yep. My
3: name's
4: Jengistar, and I'm from Islam. Right. And it's Victor and I'm from Hackney. Victor, all right. So Victor, which one is your team captain? I am. You're the team captain, so yeah. team captain, are you going to mash up the other teams or what? Destroy them. You're going to destroy them, no yeah. mercy? No mercy at all. Right, the gauntlet's been thrown down. Let's go and see what the other teams are saying. Stay so straight through this way, excuse me. Step back, step back. Okay, we've got to get through here. It's the Essex All-Stars in yellow. All right, I okay. 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 Tell us your names, guys. I'm Simon. Simon. And I'm Robert. Robert. I'm Matthew. And you're Matthew. Uh, So which one's the team captain?
1: That's me. Simon,
4: you're the team captain. So how are your team going to fare?
1: Fair. We are going to do absolutely brilliant. We're going to do better than any team here. We are unstoppable. We are the Essex All-Stars.
4: Hey, the Essex All-Stars are doing very well already. So let's go straight on and meet the green team. This way. Come on. And the final team this evening is the Humber Hawks from Humberside, no less. Come out, guys, don't be fighting. Come on, here. here we go, into the furnace room. So, do you want to tell us your names? Sam. Sam. Paul. Paul. I'm Matthew. Matthew. And who's the team captain? Um, you are, Sam. And so how do you think your team are going to do? I'll thrash everyone. You'll thrash everyone, yeah? You heard the Essex All-Stars, they sound quite leery. Yeah. Don't, beat don't him, worry. Beat them in the practice, beat
0: them now. Beat them in the practice, beat them now. Our teams are the Hackney Pranksters of Alton, Shiggers, and Victor, who just say, we're going to destroy everyone. The Humberhawks of Sam, Paul, and Matthew, who seem, they're so shy, uh, they don't even like come out of like the gate fully, like they sort of like shuffle out and then Dex has to be like, come on, come on, out you go, out you get, come on, let's let's get into it. And uh, they think they're going to do absolutely brilliant, better than all the teams, all the teams, including the Essex All-Stars of Robert, Matthew, and team captain, Simon Amstel.
3: Who is so identifiably Simon Amstel. Like if he just appeared without giving a name, and you'd seen an episode of Buzzcocks with Simon Amstel on it, you would know that that is Simon Amstel because he's indistinguishable. He's just like a he's like Mini Me. It's like if, yeah. if there was full size Simon Amstel next to him, you'd be go, going, "Oh, okay, they've done a Doctor Evil thing. That's cool. They put Vern Troyer in a wig." But yeah, these guys are confident. They're easily the most they're easily the most confident team that we've seen thus far. With Simon just saying, they're gonna do brilliantly, better than any other team here, and they are the Essex All-Stars. Although I will say that the Humberside Hawks, who are chronologically interviewed last, when Deck says, Did you hear the Essex All-Stars giving it giving it all that gab? And they go, Yeah, but we beat them in practice and we'll beat them now. And I did like yeah. that. I was like, ooh, this feels like some tension. But yeah, you you can see Simon's future hosting career because he's actually not that grating. I think I found him more grating in the audition process, but in the episode itself, he's fine. And he's certainly no Akbar.
0: Yeah, he's a bit of a character, uh, is is Simon in this. And he's quite an enjoyable character as well. Like the crowd turn on him towards the end, which is quite funny, really, like sort of looking back on it. But it, it, it's kind of nice. I was watching Sunday Brunch just over the weekend, and, and it's nice that we're getting to record this like, you know, the day after. But Makita Oliver was one of the guests on Sunday Brunch this past week. You know, who used to host Pop World alongside Simon Amstel, which was a show that essentially was. They would bring pop bands on. And basically if they didn't like them, they would just talk about how they don't like them much. And Makita was saying that, you know, her and Simon, they were cast on that show at a very, very young age. But even at that very young age, they knew that the scripts that they were given weren't good. So they would just rewrite them to reflect more like as she kept saying like the truth about pop music and it's quite nice you know listening to her talk about it i've seen simon talk about it as well and it was like quite a revolutionary show for its time which was just like yeah we brought blue one and we're just going to sit there and go like well you know blue are a bit cack Tommy of kitten are a bit aren't they and then she didn't say like of all the groups it was only really girls allowed that did not get in on the joke everyone else was actually quite game to go on there and just have the piss taken at them a little bit
3: and while I do feel he sometimes crossed the line or never mind the Buzzcocks multiple times, I did like good chunks of his run. I was always going to be a Lamar guy because for me, the d- dynamic on the Lamar shows was something kind of special. I also appreciated, I think I referred to it when we encountered him back at the audition phase that I read a recent interview with him and just found out how much of that was kind of a self-defense mechanism, an act a thing that he did, because it got a reaction. And that's what he needed to do. He needed to get a reaction, not only to kind of like make the show entertaining, but I guess as a sense of validating himself. And not to that degree. But you know, I've done hosting duties. I've done hosting duties off and on on live events for Christ, my first convention appearance on a panel was like 2003, 2004. And I've probably done a lot more in the past 10 years than I had in the 10 years previous to that. But I get that kind of desire to get a reaction because it's kind of a visceral feedback. You want to know that you've maybe at least caught people's attention. So I entirely get where he's going from. And I'm glad I don't quite have the need that he did. Mm. And he's much happier now and he's writing and he's producing. And I'm absolutely overjoyed for him. But when I was reading that interview and reading about his psyche, particularly during that time, and probably when he was doing this, and I I identified with it a bit, I'm glad I'm not like that, because otherwise this, well, this podcast probably wouldn't exist because I'd be an insufferable prick, really. <laughs> I'd be edge lording everywhere, and I've just no desire
0: to do that. Well, let's see how his team gets on as we enter our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master?
2: My Peter up challenge this evening is on Street Fighter Two championship edition for the Sega Mega Drive. Our contestants must batter their opponents into submission in a fight to the death over a single round.
0: No points for coming second in this challenge. It's the beat-em-up round to start things off. Which, I mean, we've done a few episodes of this now, and you'd have thought this would always be the closer because it's a one-on-one. But we're starting with three players in a one-on-one beat-em-up.
3: And we come out of this challenge intro by the gamesmaster, and I, I'm sat there watching this, and I rewind it. <coughs> and I watch it again, and I still haven't made a note. And I watch it a third time and just write, I've not got a f***ing clue.
4: (laughs) So the game's Street Fighter Championship Edition. Now, we've got three players playing a two-player game, Dave. Do you want to tell us a bit how the scoring is going to work on this? Yeah, what we're going to do on this is each team's beat-em-up specialist is going to play both the opposing beat-em-up specialists in a round-robin tournament. The battles will be over one round,
0: and each time you win a battle, you get a chance to get five points. Now, I thought I'd had this pegs. Like, once Dave explained it, I was like, oh, right, cool. Yeah, I get it. And I thought I got it until the sort of actually like gave out points at the end because I'm watching through this and I'm like, oh, okay, this kind of like works out as a way to get first, last and second place because someone is likely going to win two. Someone's going to win one and someone's going to win none of them. That all kind of makes sense. And that will then give you the points that you need. But it actually turns out that if you win a match, you get five points. And if you don't, you get zero, which I didn't pick up on until this, the points came up. And I'll be honest, I didn't even pick up on it then until I got to the second round when they put this point score. And I was like, I was like, how the hell is one of the teams on 12 points? We start this
3: with Alton versus Sam. So it's Hackney versus Humber. And it it's not the best street fighter we've seen on the show. Alton does some classic flow charting for Ken. Jump, strong, kick, sweep the leg. Jump, strong, kick, sweep the leg. If you did that at any modern Street Fighter tournament of any iteration of Street Fighter, you would be laughed out of the building and also decimated in the game. And that's kind of what happens to Alton here, because Sam knows how to throw a fireball. Boy, does he know how to throw a fireball. The round doesn't last long. And boom! Sam's got his first victory.
0: It comes down to the wire, like all three of these really come down to the wire, where it is basically one more punch. Whoever gets that last punch is going to pick up the win. Now you said that you didn't think this was the best Street Fighter playing. I think actually this is some of the best Street Fighter playing that we've seen since you know the the first episode of series two, because people have had the game for much longer at this point. So I think you know you've got everyone is now throwing out special moves, and even if it is just doing the jump hard kick, sweep the leg. I think there is still some better playing going on here than particularly that we saw, you know, way back in, in episode one of series two.
3: I think the problem is, is I'm comparing it to Games Master Live and we didn't see the end of that challenge, but dear Lord, that was some good street fighting.
0: But it was only one glad though. Whereas I think on these ones that are like, I think the three of these are more evenly matched. Whereas the ones that Games Master Live, it was one kid was really good at it.
3: I know. Okay, I'll I'll give you that. I mean, they they the rounds do get close. Like every one of them, does get down to the wire pretty much but i wouldn't say it's because of really good gameplay there's a lot of double hits there's a lot of Mm. blows being traded but anyway alton goes for his second round because he's staying in the hot seat and he faces off against matthew of the essex all-stars who immediately starts throwing Alton's round one tactics in his face by jumping and going for the sweep.
0: Yeah, Alton is not as good in this second round here. Like, he f- it feels like he gets pinned down quite early. We should point out as well, like in round one and round two, they're both playing as Ken as well, which is, you know, a fairly, obviously it's an even match and they're both the same character. Did get a kick out of Dave Perry saying, they're in the red and blue pajamas. Come on, Dave, mate, you know that they're ge- You know that they are. What happens next? While it doesn't exactly pay off, blows my mind a
3: bit because you know what if we're having ken ken or Ryu ken it's a nice even match but sam takes the hot seat and chooses m bison and i'm just like whoa
0: whoa 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 yeah like were they able to pick character like i thought that they gave them ken and ken because it's ken and ken in round one and ken and ken in round two so i thought that that was just they were always going to be playing as ken so it's an even thing then all of a sudden Sam is playing as Bison, and while Matthew is still playing as Ken. How did that happen?
3: I'm not entirely sure, but let's be honest, it doesn't make much of a difference because despite having the most overpowered character in the game, he still loses to Ken.
0: Yeah, you can see early doors, he's going for the psycho crushes, like he's trying to charge, but he has that classic mistake of when you go to slip across to do the forward motion of the charge you accidentally go across the up as well. So you jump out of it and do like his sort of diving punch thing that he does. So it doesn't quite work. And after that, he just sacks that off and just goes for jumping hard kick and doing the slide across the floor. But anyway, so first challenge out of the way, Dex... What are the scores?
4: Out of the the Hackney Pranksters, well, unfortunately, had a bit of thumb trouble, so they've got naught. Then we've got the Humberside Hawks. They came in second. They won one round. They got five points. But way in front is the Essex All-Stars with two wins. They've got ten points.
3: Essex All-Stars got two wins, so they scored ten. Humber Hawks get five points because they got one win. And my boys, the Pranksters, because I just like the name Pranksters, they got goose eggs. They got zero. But what I don't understand is why we're now 10-5-0 because the bouts would have still allowed the five to zero ratio to work because two bouts one one bout one zero bouts one the math would have worked
0: that's exactly what i thought and i actually wrote in my notes the essex all-stars scored five the hawks got two and the pranksters got zero i just sort of wrote like instinctively i wrote that in my notes and as i said it wasn't until we got to the end of the second challenge that i was like how the hell are the essex all-stars on 12 points And I had to go back and rewind. And I do think it was an error to kind of give it this extra points mechanism as well, because at this point now, the Pranksters are 10 points behind first place.
3: No, there's literally no way that they can win. The best they can do is draw with second place, which, spoilers, is why we're a five challenge episode.
0: Yes, which is also why I think, and as I said this back in when we did the first episode of the team championship, the scoring system is very flawed because coming first doesn't really get you anything. It just guarantees you a spot in the the finals. And here it's just that the Pranksters are now fighting to get into the finals, which they, you know, almost nearly do but we'll get to that when we get to that. Hey, dude, those wacky turtles are
4: back in action on the new Mega Drive beat em up Take control of any of the four turtles or even your arch-rival, Shredder. Get fighting. I
0: honestly thought the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had gone into hibernation and were never deemed to return alongside Bart Simpson and maybe even the Flintstones, but they're back again and this time in a Street Fighter clone. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tournament fighters milks the turtles' license dry one last time, but don't let that put you off. To a cracking one-on-one beat em up.
4: This is just another Street Fighter style game using the Turtles as sprites. It's another example
0: of the tired one-on-one beat em up formula. Our motley crew in the review zone this week is Steve Merritt from Mean Machine Sega, Mark Holmes from Megatech, and the Gamesmaster Master debut of Paul Rose of Digitizer.
3: Mr. Biffo is here and he hates this appearance on this show.
0: <laughs> When he gives his thoughts, he almost looks down as if like a oh that was bad.
3: Although I'm with him because he has at least one positive review because he's he's one of the most positive people about one of these games that we're about to talk about, and I'm I'm with him on that.
0: But yeah, we're kicking things off here with a game that has featured a heck of a lot on this podcast. It's Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles Tournament Fighters on the Mega Drive, and you want to talk about a comment that has not aged well. It's <laughs> Steve Merritt. <laughs> It's Steve Merritt at the start here who said, I would have thought the Turtles would have gone into hibernation along with the Flintstones and Bart Simpson. Oh, Steve, if you only knew, mate. If you only knew.
3: I mean, the closest to accuracy on that is probably Fred Flintstone. Apart from the John Goodman movie reboots thing, the Flintstones have never come back in a massive way. Certainly the Simpsons and the Ninja Turtles have enjoyed longer and more returns than the Blitstones. But as cringy as Steve Merritt's comment was, my boy Mr. Biffo, Mr. Paul Rose, tell us that it milks the franchise dry one last time. He's not wrong.
0: But don't let that put you off. It's a cracking one-on-one beat-em-up. Yeah, Steve Merritt and actually Mark Holmes's thing where they're just calling it a Street Fighter clone is actually kind of like it feels like it's a wider thing within sort of games criticism at the moment because we've seen you know Steve had the comment uh, comments about Plock a couple of weeks ago which is just like oh great it's another mascot platformer and here we are where it's a beat up he's like oh great it's another beat-em-up and you're like Steve there's only so many genres of games you can't just like anytime a new one comes like oh great it's another X oh great it's another Y yeah like I mean Street Fighter is incredibly popular there's going to be some beat-em-ups But I take the route of Mr. Biffo. I take the route of Dave Perry. Uh, He had a couple of weeks ago, which is just like, yeah, this is another mascot platformer. It was for the era of the acrobats. Yeah, this is another mascot platformer, but it's a really fun one. And so, yeah, I kind of take that approach to it as opposed to Steve Merritt, which is just that it's a Street Fighter clone. Therefore, it's not as good as Street Fighter and I don't like it much.
3: As much as I love this game, it's not great. It's not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it scores 75% here, which I think is probably fair. There seems to be more football games every day. New game on the pitches. World Soccer on the snares. It's trying to muscle in on the already established gang.
4: But what's it like to take control of a top international team?
0: Oh dear, another duffer to join the football ranks. This is the real barnet of football games. Compared to virtual soccer, there is nothing to recommend in this. World Soccer attempts to be different by using a constantly rotating Mode 7 pitch. Sadly, it doesn't work. This sad effort is only fit for relegation to the Sunday League. We talked about Steve in that uh, Turtles review there where he was like, oh great, it's another Street Fighter clone. Steve here, he he actually says, oh great, it's another football game. Not only that, he pulls out the same joke he made about goal on the Game Boy just two weeks ago, calling it the Barnet of football games. Which one is it, Steve? Which one is the Barnet of football games?
3: Also, stop picking on bloody Barnet, for (laughs) God's sake. (laughs) There are worse football teams out there I know my hometown
0: had one. but the anyway, they talk about like, it's not as good as virtual soccer, really, it's not as good as FIFA. Uh, and uh, Paul talks about how, because this game is, you know, it's on the snares and it kind of takes advantage of Mode 7. And we saw that with the, what was that basketball game that was in that blue void with the rotating court? This kind of has a similar thing, but it does actually put fans in the stands around you. Paul says, you know, the, the mode seven stuff doesn't really work, which I, I feel is a bit of a shame because it was quite it looked quite cool.
3: I think the reason it doesn't work is because it basically dicks with the horizon, which makes the pitch a very, very difficult thing to navigate. And also, unless you're playing on a really, really big football pitch, there is no horizon on a football pitch. You can always see the the opposite goal. That the curvature of the earth is not that steep. But I do like that, yeah, he does acknowledge the fact that it is making use of Mode 7, Mode 7 Heaven on the Super Nintendo.
0: Yeah, Mark's not really keen on it either saying it should be relegated to the Sunday League. 69% Nice. Ever marvelled at a beautiful intro sequence and wondered when you could play a game
4: with graphics that good? Well it could be soon with the visually stunning Rise of the Robots explodes onto the scene. The graphics in Rise of the Robots has been produced using some of the state of the art software modeling techniques that you've seen in the Lawn Man and Terminator 2. We've implemented artificial intelligence techniques
3: to ensure that the robots learn each player's style of play. The action takes place in the Electrical building, which is a production plant where all the robots are running riot. Your task is to go in there as a cyborg and defeat each of the robots. There's been a lot of hype about games with good graphics and bad gameplay, and I can assure you this game plays as well as it looks.
0: Oh boy. This is a notorious game of this era. This is... Rise of the Robots, man. Like, it's arrived in our timeline at long last, I suppose, in a way. But it's like, oh, what if you could play a game that looks as good as the intro? Well, now you can with Rise of Robots. And it's AI fighters that learn what you're doing. And there's graphics that are cut from the same cloth as Lawnmower Man and Terminator 2. The guy talking about this, clearly working on the game, is just like, yeah, it's not going to disappoint it plays as good as it looks and this is one of the biggest stinkers of the 90s rise of the robots fucking sucks
3: i think the guy we're seeing speaking is a guy called sean griffith and i only say that because while we're talking about the preview in the games master episode i've got the preview from the games master magazine which includes some more quotes although i don't think it will hold any quote better than the one that's in this feature which is There's a lot of hype about games with good graphics and bad gameplay, but I can assure you that this game plays as well as it looks.
0: Oh, man. I mean, we talk about, like, you know, comments that have aged like a fine murder with Steve talking about Bart Simpson. You know, even the Flintstones, they had a movie out six years ago. But, like, here, this does not hold up as a sentence. But a further quote from Sean says that he got the idea for this
3: couple of years ago when street fighter 2 was still in the arcades and i thought it would be great to do the same thing with robots street fighter 2 is superb but one thing it doesn't really concentrate on is the artificial intelligence side in one player games your opponent's moves seem to happen at random we've concentrated on the ai side the one player aspect of the game
0: right okay so they're not random moves though are they they have been designed and programmed in a certain way. Like, each character has its own unique set of things that it does. It's not just doing things at random.
3: And he goes on to say, though, there's no point in having artificial intelligence if you can't perceive it in action, so we've built in complex programming tables which make the baddies react totally to the way you fight. There are things like aggression factors. If you're beating a robot, he starts getting faster, more aggressive, and more motivated. And intelligence which enables the cleverer robots to determine which moves you're being successful with and react accordingly, just like real life. I've experienced that on Street Fighter. So even if it's not proper AI, there's computer routines in there that are doing the job. And this final quote from him is our philosophy is that game design is top priority. We intend to beat Mortal Kombat. And if we get near Street Fighter 2, we'll be happy. Well, you probably did get near Street Fighter 2 by being on the same shelf and your game beginning with the letter R and theirs beginning with S. And you technically, I suppose, beat Mortal Kombat because theirs begins with S. M.
0: yeah and i mean going by that statement as well is that clearly this lad is not a fan of mortal Kombat, or like he certainly thinks the street fighter is definitely the better game because he believes that they're easily better than mortal kombat but or i mean if we could be on the same level of street fighter that would be great but we'll easily be better than mortal kombats
3: now in addition to these fantastic cgi graphics which by the way in virtually every version of the game just look like heavily compressed dog turds It's not Mm -hmm. a good look. They don't move well. They don't run well. The game, even here, the game doesn't look that good. The user interface is appalling. One of the other big selling factors was this game was going to have a soundtrack by Brian May. Yeah, that Brian May from Queen. You remember Queen. And this all apparently happened because his solo album, Back to the Light, which isn't actually bad as far as solo albums for guitarists go. is pretty good but it caught Mirage's attention and they chose a couple of tracks from the album, The Dark and Resurrection, to fit the game's style and tone. Now, only The Dark ended up appearing in the final version. The in-game score was done by Richard Joseph. Brian May did actually record a full soundtrack for Rise of the Robots, but his record company kind of got in the way a bit and it was postponed and Mirage went, eh, we'll just go ahead without brian may's music so all you get is that one track the dark and the occasional short guitar sounds and riffs that appear throughout the game now i'm not saying a brian may soundtrack would have actually improved the game it wouldn't and in fact maybe brian may dodged a bullet maybe the reason his record label delayed it is because one of them actually played the game and went "Woof, yeah show brian some badgers he'll be distracted and we'll just let this one pass by and deal with it
0: afterwards yeah because this is a game that you can say all you want about it you can give it all the hype and ballyhoo as soon as you pick up a pad and as soon as you start playing it all of that falls by the waist and you're like oh actually this is cack this is a really bad game and it's a fascinating game to look back on because there was so much hype and ballyhoo around this game like in the lead up to it coming out there's this there's stuff in magazines everyone is talking about rise of the robots and it is going to be this massive colossal failure it is in some ways it's the water world of mid-90s beat-em-up games
3: i would agree with you on that apart from one fact towards the end of last year because i've got that nice arrow box set which has like got all the versions of water world in it and i cracked it open because as i think i've said before sometimes in the film it's not how good the film is, it's how interesting the story behind the film is. So this box set with all its special features and extras and different versions, that's like a light to a moth for me. It's like, ooh, must have this. And I watched Waterworld and it is at times a very clunky movie, but I enjoyed it far more in 2020 than I did back when it was released.
0: It was a film that had so much hype around it and like all the TV shows were talking about it, all the magazines were talking about it, and then it came out and I was like, Actually, it's a bit poo. But I think actually a lot of people have sort of re-evaluated it in, in years to come. People have not re-evaluated Rise of the Robots, though. That game is still poo.
3: I've got access to probably every single version of Rise of the Robots now via emulation, and I can probably run it at a better clock speed and a better frame rate than on any of the original hardware. But it's still going to play like a semi-glittery dog turd. It's just not going to be fun. There's going to be no real redeeming qualities to it and i did try and play it like when i was going through kind of all the various amiga things and getting amiga emulation set up of all the games i was scrolling through i'm like huh, rise of the robots load close that go on to dalek attack (laughs) never mind this game was released broken on pretty much every major platform
0: yeah and it wasn't like now where you can release a broken game and it's fine because you can have this well we'll patch it in three months time and we'll fix it in patches this was just released as broken and it was just broken forever
3: the only way you could fix this game in patches is if you just patched it with another game
0: yeah, if you plug in Street Fighter instead.
3: Or a sprite swap with the turtles on. That would work.
0: <laughs> Do we get more Rise of the Robots in Games Master?
3: I would like and hope to think that this would be the last time that we will discuss or even have to glance at Rise of the Robots during our time covering Games Master. But it isn't. It comes back at the end of this season for a challenge. I haven't watched it yet, but I bet you we're going to be laughing by the end of it. <laughs>
0: Hey, and if you win that challenge maybe you'll win a cdi it's, it's all coming up millhouse at the moment but anyway you know what that's enough chat about rise of the robots it is going to come back in some form and we'll get to it when we get to it but let's have another challenge what are we playing games master tonight's platform challenge is our magic boy for the super
2: nintendo our contestants must leap from platform to platform stunning various fluffy animals with their eco-friendly weapons before dropping them into the holding bay at the bottom of the street. Beware, though, as appearances can be deceptive. One touch from these cuddly creatures will send the Magic Boy plunging from his platform into oblivion. As usual, I'll be awarding five points to the team that bags the most animals in 45 seconds, two for second place, and nothing to believe
0: it. Friggin' hell, you want to talk about a game that does not look like it belongs on the SNES, but does look like it belongs on the Amiga? Magic Boy. You're going to tell me this was an Amiga game, right? Nope. You are kidding. This, this is a, a straight SNES game.
3: I'm going to tell you it was an Amiga, Atari, and MS-DOS game.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, well that makes more sense then, because it's like, <laughs> you know, it looks like an Amiga game, doesn't it?
3: The look of disbelief on your face there was priceless. I was, oh, that'll keep me warm tonight. But... This game was developed by Blue Turtle, and for the home computers, it was released by Empire Interactive, and for the consoles, it was released by
0: JVC. Hmm, who had done a lot of Star Wars stuff, so you know, they actually got quite a good relationship with uh, Nintendo. But the game itself stars Hewlett,
3: a wizard apprentice who has accidentally caused havoc, which he must undo. Huh, that's an original plot that's not been used in everything. But the amiga atari and dos versions featured a different backstory than the snes release these differences are not really apparent while playing the game but basically it's in the box information and the manual description it's a 2d platformer to me it's got quite a bit in common with like bobble bobble and and rainbow island in the kind of level construction it looks like that yeah and you've got to go around you've got to trap the animals rescue the animals collect them it's a fairly simple platform mechanic. It's not It's not going to win any awards for ingenuity on the game's mechanics front.
0: It's also a one-hit-kill game as well, which kind of adds like a real sense of jeopardy to the challenge. And you see that in one of the challenges, it's Matthew who goes up second. He's so cautious when he's playing this.
3: But first up is Chuggies, and he gets off to a good start. He does pretty well. He gets nine animals, but the biggest issue is he kind of gets to the last 10, 15 seconds and doesn't really see what he can do. He spends most of the last 10 seconds just kind of jumping up and down and around the same platforms, not, not really making any progress, not finding any new enemies. He doesn't, he doesn't explore the space because this is a scrolling level and there were probably other sections that he didn't get to. Going by the thing down the bottom, I think there are at least 20 animals that he could have rescued.
0: Yeah, he gets nine. And then, as you say, like he spends about 15 seconds just jumping around where he was rather than going up or I don't know if you're meant to be going over to the right-hand side of things. But he spent so long doing that, I genuinely thought to myself, there's no way he's winning this, Then There's absolutely no way that he's going to win this because if you do well, you've got at least 15 seconds where you can explore and go and get upwards of 20. And But then we get to Matthew who goes up second and he's so, so cautious and he's so careful because there's that one-hit kill mentality about it and unfortunately it bites him on the butt because he gets to six and then he dies and like oh cool so it's up to robert of the all-stars now who has only got nine to beat but he actually looks at this game sees you know be more cautious and decides i'm not going to go for nine because i don't need to we're already guaranteed to get into the final of this i just need to get seven so that's all he does is he plays it safe and he goes for seven. Which means that the lad who spent 15 seconds doing nothing wins this challenge.
3: I mean, he made the strongest start and I think he was the best person on this challenge. The fact that he won despite spending the last 10 seconds bartassing around, says a lot. But the second challenge is out of the way. Dex, what does that do to the scores?
4: Okay, the Humberside Hawks, they got none on that round but added to the score in the last round. That means they've got a total of five. Then the Essex All-Stars managed to score two in the last round, but adding to their first score, it makes a massive 12. And the Hackney Pranksters ran away with that round with five, but adding to their last score, it means that they've ended up with just five as well.
0: Well, blow me down. We discussed back in the first episode of this Team Championships, what happens if there's a tiebreak. Well, now we know we've got a tiebreak and we've got to play another game. What are we playing, Games Master? Our drawing teams must go head-to-head
2: on the classic racing game, Mario Kart and the Super Nintendo. The first team past the finishing line after one lap will qualify for tonight's final challenge.
0: This episode is so jam packed. I thought to myself, there's no way we're getting a fifth challenge in this. And this isn't, this is barely a challenge. This is, this is blinking, you'll miss it territory. This challenge goes, what, six seconds if it goes anything more than that? Like it's so, maybe 10 seconds. It's so quick. It's one lap of Mario Karts.
3: For this challenge, it's Paul versus Victor. Paul is Toad. Victor is Daisy. And to put it bluntly, Paul cuts across the grass and wins quickly. He was probably going to win anyway because he was Toad.
0: Dex's introduction of this as well is like, Victor is playing as the princess. Ooh, very nice. And Paul is playing as Toad. Ribbit. Different kind of Toad, mate. It's a Toadstool.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, I get
0: that now. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, like this absolutely rattles past because like it's it's one lap of Mario Kart. They're not exact. And it's the first track as well. It's the Mario circuit. So it's not going to take you very long to get round. And it's a
3: shame because you know what? Two, three laps, that would have actually been a lot of fun. But it is, it is what it is. Oh well
4: damn, Paul. Victor, you man cut across the grass and cheat on you, didn't really? Yeah. So how would you feel about that? Very sly. Very sly. Very sly. <laughs> Yeah, dirty tactics. Did you do that intentionally cut across the glass and you yeah. was doing there? Yeah, I tried to. So. Oh. Yeah, and it works, obviously, because you have got through. You're going to bailing out for a place in the semi-finals with the Essex
3: All-Stars. Yeah, I mean, cutting the corner, it's a cheap way to win, but if you've only got one lap, you do what you need to do.
0: Yeah, and I'll be honest, it looks like he takes that, like, going across the gravel because he overshoots that corner and basically just, like, improvising and be like, no, oh, well, Smega, well, I'm, now that I'm here, I may as well go ahead. Do you want a uh, a fun fact about this, though, before we go into the ad break? What's that, then? Is that despite this episode having five challenges, it is not our longest episode title. No? No. In fact, last week's episode is our longest title by about four characters, because last week's episode had Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, FIFA International Soccer, and Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles Tournament Fighters.
3: Are we even going to be able to fit that into a tweet?
0: <laughs> we are going to struggle to tweet this one out here with five fucking <laughs> challenges on the go. Brand
3: new there for the Hank McGranksters. Okay, we've got two teams left
4: battling out for a place in the Championship semi finals. That's coming up after the break. Not only that, we've got Vinny Jones and John Barnes battling out on FIFA soccer. What a Megamongers challenge. So stay there for a minute.
3: Have we done anything about the Christmas shopping, yet, love?
1: We? Don't worry. Come on, Martha. Go on.
4: Who cares that you find just the right present for everyone?
2: <coughs> Who cares enough to put together a free gift guide that's full of good ideas? That you find just the right presents a bit of luxury for Aunt jane perfume for cousin kate a toy for little tommy what a blooming good idea for young freddie i've even got something for the old <laughs> dear <laughs> there's a christmas present for everybody at booth a lot can happen in the next three years
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for
4: details.
3: One fresh Sainsbury's
4: turkey with fresh pork, apple, and cranberry stuffing. Now that's the
3: port and cranberry gravy recipe from Sainsbury's Magazine. Next, Sainsbury's Cheese Basket Indulgence Chocolate Orange Log down. Sainsbury's double cream with Cointreau. Yes. And
4: champagne. Right. What are you missing? Family. Oh, come on, come on. The food's oh. getting cold.
0: Have yourself a Sainsbury's family Christmas.
4: Now it's the moment we've all been waiting for, the final of our FIFA Soccer Celebrity Challenge, where one of our celebrities is going to get to take home the fabulous Games Master Golden Joystick. So, without further ado, let's bring our celebrities on. It's none other than Vinny Jones and John Barnes! Victory against last <laughs> week. You feeling confident about your challenge with Vinny? No, not really, no. <laughs> no, not at all? No, I was a bit lucky against uh, Dennis, because he's only little, isn't he? Yeah, I kept well, the ball was... in the air. I've <laughs> got to be struggling against him. <laughs> Over his head! What about you Vinnie? you are going to show him any mercy? No, I don't think so. Not today.
0: <laughs> right, we're coming out of the ad break. It's celebrity time because Vinnie Jones and John Barnes are here. They're ready to play some f***ing FIFA International Soccer. But even though we know what we're playing, we've got to head over to Games Master to find out what we're playing. What are we playing, Games Master?
2: I am pleased to welcome back our neighbouring European football teams, Italy and Holland, for our FIFA Soccer Challenge final. I do hope that Mr. Barnes lives up his good name and Mr. James doesn't let us down with
0: any dreadful psycho tactic. I, uh, I really like John Barnes in the, the pre-match interview where he's like, I got lucky against Dennis. He's one of the shorter lads, so I just played a high ball above him.
3: And Vinny just says, I'm not going to show any mercy, but both these guys are smiling. They're having a fun time. John Barnes' jacket is stylish. I really like that. It's kind of got glitter on it and like like, like little studs and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, that's so nice. I mean, I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> I'd look like a twat, but that's a nice jacket. And because it's John Barnes, he pulls it off. But Dave Perry has the line of the night. And that's saying something which has got a baby Simon Amstel on it.
4: Well, after the way John hammered Dennis last week, I'd be a fool to bet against him. But I like my steak rare. I like my soccer with grit in it. I remember what Wimbledon did to Liverpool in 88. My money's on the irrepressible Vinnie Jones.
3: And Dex is cracking up in the background because dave is full-on promo mode this is the most i think animated to camera we've seen him at this point and i loved it i thought it was great it made me laugh a lot
0: i think this second half of series 3 is really where we're seeing dave perry come into his own as the game's animal and deck you can hear dex laughing like you can obviously you can see him but you'll have heard it in the clip there he's proper like busting a gut laughing and it's not the only time on this episode that dave is going to make him laugh out loud
3: But we don't need to talk about John. We don't need to talk about Vinny. We've covered all them multiple times. We can get straight into the match and it kicks off. And the first thing that John does is he tries to lob it into the goal mouth from the centre line.
0: Once again, this is get the ball and hammer the shoot button. And yeah, to hope that it goes in, basically.
3: Vinny takes a shot. That doesn't find the target. A second one does. And Dave Perry can be heard shouting, I told you.
4: I told you, I told you
0: um yeah both of these guys are just hoofing it up and down the field we end the first half at 1-0 so it feels like there could be something going into the second half maybe john barnes could make a comeback but unfortunately he doesn't because vinnie again it just it just hoofing the ball up and down the field and he scores twice in this second half but the crowd it's like battle of the gladiators all over again where the crowd are chanting for anyone but vinnie Jones. You know, this crowd here are going, Barnsie, Barnsy, Barnsy, Proper behind John Barnes to make the comeback here.
3: And I do love Vinny's second goal because he hoofs it at the goal and Barnes's goalkeeper literally just turns to watch the ball roll past him and go into the back of the net.
0: I laughed so goddamn hard at that. Yeah, it's the moment when you have your keeper selected and you don't press a button. And so he just turns, turns and watches it roll past.
3: John does try and take another couple of shots, but it doesn't make any real difference. The final whistle blows. It's the end of the challenge. It's the end of the championship in this case. And Vinnie Jones wins 3-0. Boy, you thought the ATA FA Cup final was weird. Vinnie Jones just beat John Barnes three nil and didn't kick him in the face once.
4: Um Vinny's running circles round you there, really, wasn't he, eh? No, I think he, he had the better finishing. I thought my team were the better team on the day, but he finished better than me. He finished but he put a goal, I put the goal win win in the it. goalkeeper after. <laughs> yeah, I think you're gonna have to. Vinnie, eh, with a result? Three nil? Yeah. Pleased with, with that? Uh, yeah, very pleased. My my goalkeeper got me uh Man of the match for me again. Man of the match, yeah. And we played the long ball against them. So uh, they, we know they don't like that, these
3: <laughs> tactical sides. i <laughs> have um, got a through tonight.
0: Uh, John Barnes, you know, I like him in the post-match. I thought he was actually the better team on the day, but he, d- he didn't have the better finish, which is what Vinny Jones did. Um, Vinny was putting over his keeper as the man of the match going, and, you know, he said, I went for the long ball tactic. Get no shit, you went for the long ball tactic, just hammering the C button over and over again. But Vinnie Jones becomes the second person on Games Master to be a two-time Golden Joystick winner as a celebrity. Well done, him.
3: Such a fun challenge. Such a fun trio of challenges. The Gladiators challenges were fun to talk about because we love the Gladiators and it gives us a chance to talk about them. But these challenges in themselves were way more entertaining. This was fun. This was good stuff. This was entertaining. Even if it was the Lobby at the mouth type playing of football it was still entertaining i still had a laugh and yeah we had no nil nil draws every game had some degree of tension although this last one admittedly kind of stopped having that tension about five seconds into the second half but it was there for a little bit
0: yeah and you can see why this becomes a yearly tradition of games master we're going to see it again in series four on fifa 95 i think they do it basically up until series seven so this is something we're going to see a lot of because and i think the reason why they do it a lot and they do it every year and becomes a yearly tradition is because yeah it's a lot of fun isn't it and it's really really good stuff hello and
2: welcome to another session of games players anonymous who's first to admit
4: their little things? yo games master how can i skip levels on the cool spot of the snes
2: Listen up dude, when the virgin logo appears, hold down the L and R keys, the logo will tilt. Now press select 30 times, and a secret cheat screen will appear that allows you to select which level of this coolmongous game you'd like to
0: play. Respect is due man. But yo, let's get into the consultation zone, dude. Gamesmaster, master yo i want level select skips on cool spot cowabunga r- party on don't have a cow man this proper made me laugh because this glad comes up and he's like yo games master i want to skip and it cuts to games master because this game is cool spot is now wearing cool spot sunglasses and he told you know hold down L and R when the Virgin logo appears, and then press select 30 times. You can now select levels. And the guy just goes, respect is due, man. This is like, how do you do fellow kids as a Consultation Zone entry? And it proper made me laugh.
3: I didn't think it could get much better than the Games Master saying cowabunga. But then to hear him go, listen up, dude. (laughs) It was was like a really weird version of Rufus from Bill and Ted.
1: (laughs) Can you help me on the Arabian Nights, the Amiga? I'll keep dying.
2: I have a little something which might ease your pain. On the title screen, type in the word simple. Now, whenever you hold down the Amiga key while playing, you'll be invincible. Oh,
1: yes, very.
3: Sadly, Games Master has ditched the Ray-Bans by this point, but Arabian Nights, it's an Amiga game. We don't get that many of those nowadays. It's certainly we're, we're into the console era. And this game, despite its appearance, is actually relatively new. This is a 1993 game. It was released on the Amiga. It came on two floppy disks. But hey, guess what, Luke? Potentially, the winners of this team championship could own this on CD for the Amiga CD32. Christ knows what they did with the extra 647 megabytes of space that they would have (laughs) available. One would hope that they'd have like some FMV and some kick-ass music. But because it's a CD32, I don't have that much confidence that they would.
4: Oh, Games Master, I want to get on level 9 on Jungle Strike on the Mega Drive. I can't get off level 1. Can you please help me? Go away and practice. Oh, but I've heard it so
2: good. As your pleas are so pathetic, I'll be generous this time. At the start of the game, enter this password, nzy 9 S B 9 ys now, when you start the game, you'll be whisked straight to the game's last level, where you will have a massive 19 lives to play with.
0: And our third and final lad wants to get to level 9 on Jungle Strike, which is a game that we had featured uh, the final episode of like, the pre-team championships era. But he can't get off level 1, so Games Master gives him the advice of get good. Go away and practice, you pathetic simpering fool.
3: And this guy's just like begging, going, but I heard it so good.
0: He's proper overacting this.
3: I loved it. And that's when Gamesmaster just gives in going, oh, you know, fine, if it will shut you up. Enter this password, NZYNSDBR9YS. It's not even really a cheat. It is a level code. And that gets you to the last level with 19 lives. And that's it. We don't even get the guy saying thanks because clocks
0: are ticking. We've had four challenges already. We need to rattle through this. We've still got another one to go. Well, you know, let's see what we're playing, Games Master.
2: My mystery challenge for tonight's grand finale is the sports simulation at Davis Cup Tennis. Our contestants will require lightning reactions and pinpoint accuracy to hit the arrow-shaped target
0: as many times as they can. Time. So we're playing Davis Cup Tennis, but, and this really surprised me. This is something a little bit different. It's a tennis game, but we're not having a one-on-one tennis game. Instead, we're playing like what I guess is like a training mode of the game, which is you have like the tennis ball machine shooting the balls at you and you have to hit the target that the game tells you to hit. I wonder if they did it this way, because if you done it as a tennis match, we might have ended up with the super tennis situation we had back in series two, where, you know, it goes to ties and it goes to deuces. And you get this, that, and the other, and you know, like you, you want to try and keep this as short as possible. This challenge has got a maximum of forty-five seconds per go, so we're probably best keeping it to that, as opposed to letting this go for potentially multiple rounds.
3: I certainly think that could have been the case. Although in the case of this challenge, I don't think juices and ties would have been an issue, because there are two people playing this game, and one of them is pretty damn good and the other really, really isn't.
4: Now, we've got two teams left bailing out for a place in our championship semi-final. We've got the Humbersides Hawks here on my right. Sam, you're gonna be playing the next challenge, aren't you? Yeah. Feeling confident? Yeah. You are? Yeah, yeah simple Easy. as that? Easy. You're gonna be playing Simon the Big Mouth here. <laughs> Simon, are you confident?
1: I'm so confident. I don't see why I should be playing this guy. I mean, <laughs> it's
4: just—it's gonna be good. It's too easy for me. I need—I need, I need, I need some—I cha- need a challenge. You need a challenge. Well, do you think you're gonna muster up a challenge for him, Sam? Yeah. I mean, no sweat.
0: Yeah. So Sam from the Hawks is feeling quite confident uh, about all this, and then Dex turns to Simon the Big Mouth, and Simon is supremely confident at this game. He's so confident he doesn't even know why he's playing this guy he wants a real challenge and this is where the crowd turning on him because you can hear just sort of this slight booze as this overconfident child and you can almost feel this palpable energy in the room of just like god i hope this kid biffs it i hope this kid absolutely sucks at this game and you can almost see young simon amstel going kind of like full emperor like good let the hate flow through you (laughs) it feeds me so basically, yeah, you've got 10 balls that are going to be fired at. You've got to get as many points as possible. Uh, Paul's up first and he misses the very first shot that comes towards him. So you're like, oh, but he gets well on track and essentially gets seven out of the 10 that he needs to get, including one of them, which is a wonderful dive uh, to get ball number five. But you know what? Seven out of 10, it's certainly not a bad score, but it is a score that Simon can beat.
3: The one thing that Paul picks up on very quickly is the game is actually showing you what commands you need to do to reach the ball because this is a training mode. So the arrow appears where you're meant to hit the ball too. And then there's a controller graphic in the top right and that will go, cool, press right and B. And he learns that all he needs to do really is follow the controller on screen and he'll do okay. And so seven out of 10 is pretty respectable. And yeah, as you say, Simon can beat this.
0: Dave says that it's quite tricky because, yeah, the game is telling you what to do, but you need to be able to focus on two things at the same time, which is where Simon may fall down.
4: Now, Dave, Simon's got a big mouth, but does that mean he's going to be any good at the challenge? Well, Simon's supremely confident. He says he's been playing games too long to remember,
0: which has got to be proof that computer games can seriously screw you up. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. That's when Dex again cracks up at Dave Berry's commentary.
3: I love that line. That was a funny line. And clearly, little Simon really annoys Dave as well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah but anyway you're right this is a a score that simon can beat he just needs to get uh more than seven it was basically the tactic that the all-stars had to get them into this round which was just make sure you don't lose unfortunately he misses loads of them he misses the first four in fact which means he definitely can't win and in the end only gets three out of the 10 shots
3: now given what they've done in the past they could have just gone ah you can't win this challenge over. But no, they let him be humiliated for a further six balls. And he does just give up towards the end. He's just like, well, what's the fucking point? I, I don't, I don't even know.
0: Yeah. He proper falls on his face. Uh, like, you know, like he's given it all the talk. He's given it all the argy-bargy, but falls flat on his ass when he actually has to get up and do something. Oh, Simon, 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 what went wrong, please tell us?
4: To be honest, I don't know what went wrong. It must be something with my fingers, they're worn out or something, but I'm not going to make any more excuses like that. Yeah. But I'm going to be a good sport. Yeah. I'm really to Oh, Simon's losing popularity quite rapidly here. Now, your team did quite well with Paul playing there, didn't they, Sam? Yeah, brilliant. Pleased about that? Yeah. Through to the semifinals? Yep. You're going to do some stomping in the semis? Yep. Absolutely.
3: And in the post-match, Simon says, "I don't know what went wrong. My fingers must have been worn out. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any more excuses like that. I'm. I'm gonna be a good sport."
0: He's trying to be a good sport about this, but the crowd have turned on him at this point. They just start booing him.
3: They're like, "No, too late. You were an asshole. We remember that. We remember. Boo! It was like the old woman out of the
0: Princess Bride.
3: Boo! <laughs> Boo!
0: Liar!" And Sam's got very little to say for his team. Just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. To all of Dex's questions as he's trying to sort of like hype him up because yeah, they are going through. The Hawks are going through to the semifinals. Well done them. Well,
4: I'm going to wrap this week's show up there, but next week we've got the Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells Christmas special. So tune in for that one, won't you? Until then, bye.
0: And next week, it's the Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Christmas special.
3: Oh God, look, we only just got one Christmas out of the way. Do we have to do it all over again? I can't be asked to get the tree down from the loft.
0: Although at least this time we are slightly closer to Christmas than we were the last time we did a Christmas special, which I think was in July.
3: That is fair. That is absolutely fair. And if weather continues the way it is at the moment, we might have a white Christmas special.
0: <laughs> we might do, yeah. But then go. that is episode 15 of series three, our third heat of the team championships. Ash, what did you make of it?
3: Everything about the pace of this episode can be summed up in the fact that the end credits, if you remove the shot of Games Master powering down and the Hewland card at the end runs for less than 20 seconds. They they sped this up like double, triple speed. This was a very quick ending to the episode.
0: There's, all, there's loads of those editing tricks like throughout the episode as well, like where they've really like just sped things up and like the Super Mario Kart challenge. They don't even do like the do do do. They literally started as they're already driving. Like it is very, and it's just white, which makes that challenge even more blink and you'll miss it.
3: And for all my criticisms of some of the production stuff, like when we were talking about how they could have fixed Dex and Dave talking over each other in the edit, I have to commend the editors on making this episode work. It could have been a incoherent mess as we go to five challenges, despite how hectic it was. I actually really like this episode because we had some strong personalities on the teams. We had some fun in the review zone. We had some more fun in the consultation zone. What a celebrity challenge. Probably one of the best celebrity challenges we've had in, I don't know, all of season three, maybe. Certainly one of the most exciting. And yeah, we, we get to this last challenge, which feels a bit anticlimactic, purely because everything that's gone before it has just been so out there like even the bonkers scoring on the street fighter challenge we still ended up with a tie break situation and the first time i watched this episode if you'd said to me after that first street fighter challenge do you think this will end in a tie break i'd have gone no don't be stupid definitely won't end up with a tie break for like second place and that was just how unpredictable it was so i'm i'm actually pretty high on this episode and maybe it's just because of the mood i watched it in and i followed it on from episode 14 and it just seemed to blow nicely but i thought this episode was really fun with a lot of high energy and as annoying as he was at times
0: simon amstel was good and he was working the crowd Yep, yeah, for me this is an episode that is really raised by the first challenge because i really enjoyed the street fighter stuff particularly because all three fights came down to like really close to the wire like watching them you there was a proper like oh moments like whenever someone won because like it really did come down to whoever lands the next punch is going to get the win and the breakneck pace of the episode of cramming five challenges into this, still with the review zone, still with a feature, still with the consultation zone. It is rapid fire, like no one's business. It's an episode that is so quick, bad influence would be like, oh, slow down, lads, you're going a bit too fast there. For me, it's it's only slightly let down because I didn't like the, the, the Magic Boy challenge. And I didn't particularly like the Davis Cup Challenge. But even though those weren't great challenges, particularly the Davis Cup Challenge is a real anti-climax to the show. Even with that, I still really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it more than I did episode 13. I don't know if I enjoyed it more than 14 though, but I did have a lot of fun with it. Because how could you not, when it crams you know, five challenges in this 28-minute show? It on 25-minute show, it's so quick knowing what you just said about you don't think you liked it quite as much as last week's episode what are you thinking score wise i'm not gonna go much lower i gave last week's 87 so i'm actually going with 86 for this one just like if this had better challenges on it if this had a better challenge if the magic boy and davis cup challenges were better games i think this would have been higher than last week's episode but yeah i'm going to go slightly i'm going to 86 for this one
3: i'm actually going to stay exactly where i was for last week's episode it was 88 last week and we're still with doc brown it's 88 again this week because i just i enjoyed both episodes equally for very
0: different reasons but i did enjoy them equally if you haven't watched any of the team championships yet watch this one because i really wish i could have been a fly on the wall in the edit suite of this episode when they looked at the first cut of this and it was probably an hour long and they were like okay okay now we've got to try and get this down to 24 minutes. It must have been such a stressful process to try and get this down. But that is going to do it for this edition of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule if you want to get in touch with us. We are on Twitter at Under Pod and we're on Instagram at under.console, and you can get in touch, feedback, At underconsultation.com.
3: And if you want to join us for a bit of real time interaction, a bit of chat, if that's your bag, you can join us and other listeners of Under Consultation and fans of gaming, movies, and other pop culture in general on our Discord, details of which can be found on our social media and in the show notes.
0: Indeed, so. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash underconsole pod, where at the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early. And free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get?
3: At the £10 level, they get a special Patreon-exclusive edition of our Under Consultation mug. And inside that mug, they will find sweeties, they will find retro trading cards, they will find badges, they will find stickers, and they will find a voucher that gives them £5 off our first Under Consultation t-shirt, which can be purchased along with other badges, other stickers,
0: other mugs at underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Cliff, Gordon, Jamie, Joe, Matt, Misha, Nick, Phil, Rich, Robert, Sean, Simon, William, Zach, Colin and David. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days time. Take care, everyone. Good night.